Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, here we find ourselves at the start of a new year, following possibly the most significantly challenging one in our generation's history. And dare I speak the name of the year that was 2020. (laughs) Now, following that calamity, we have to ask ourselves, what are the consequences on our children's mental health, both consciously and subconsciously, in the short and the long term? Now, This has not been a topic that has been addressed a great deal, and that's exactly what we're here to do today. So to help talk to us about this, we welcome our special guest, Carolyn Siri, a general registered psychologist. Now, Carolyn has an electric framework and is trained trained in a number of a whole heap of different evidence-based training, um, evidence-based therapies, sorry if I can get my words out, including cognitive behavioural therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, children's yoga and mindfulness, play therapy, art therapy, neural feedback therapy, a whole heap of others. Now, thank you so much for joining us today, Carolyn. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Um, Yes, I'm very excited to join you and talk about this topic. Yeah, and as I just mentioned, you know, I I just don't know if it's been spoken about enough. Um, I just don't know if people are just avoiding it. I guess a lot of us don't know what, I guess, the the side effects are going to be of of what, you know, 2020 delivered to to our lives. So I just, I'm really interested just to speak to you today, just to hear your thoughts on this. Um, And I know that you're experiencing working with a a whole array of complex mental health disorders and issues, including depression, anxiety. Um, a whole heap of you know post-traumatic stress disorders. Um, of course, dealing with uh, children on the spectrum, um, obsessive-compulsive disorders, and a whole heap of other stuff. So, you're absolutely the, the right person to be able to pick your brain oh. today. So, no pressure. Absolutely. No pressure. <laughs> now, just initially, I'd love to know what what are your thoughts on the long term, the long term effects. Uh, of lockdown and COVID in general, just on children's mental health. What are your thoughts? I think I think in Australia, or if you look globally, um, it, it's it's going to vary because um, I mean you're in Melbourne and I'm all the way up here in sunny Queensland in a small town. Um, the the effects and impacts here are um, a lot less than what they were in Melbourne. Um, but I think they're you know. For even here, there's a lot of um, apprehension about the what ifs, what if it happens again, Um, uh, lots of, I guess, missed, um, if we're looking long-term, kids looking back at these special years like last year that they missed out on and, um, you know, feeling, I guess, sad about that. Um, And I guess that there's there's something that could be so big that could shut the world down Mm -hmm. and a lot of kids that I see looking at, well, what's the next big thing that could happen if that's if that can happen? It's out of a movie. I I don't know. I've never really noticed the word pandemic or those sorts of things. Um, you know, and I've watched some movies since. I'm like, you know, that it's out of Hollywood what's happened. Oh, um, I don't even think a Hollywood sort of scriptwriter could even put together what we've just lived through over the last. Oh, <laughs> ab- absolutely. It'd be one of those um, movies look, that you just—it was just a 
worst movie ever, you know, <laughs> like seriously. I think, oh, absolutely. And I think um, what, what you know, I guess the financial um, impacts of this and then, and then of, of course the impacts of parenting, parents are more stressed. Uh, we're about to lose, um, you know, our economy has been given this sort of um, sense of security. It will be incredibly interesting what happens next next month um, when families are already stressed businesses are closing down everywhere like I guess that's something that is um, you know in common all over the country that um, there is there is this other underlying crisis um, on top of um, you know kids worrying about this sickness that you know um, you know can be fatal um, so the the long-term effects I think we're just yet to yet to see and it's us paving the way and um, you know looking at how to parent in these times and how to create safe bases for our children um, to be able to navigate their way and develop, um, you know, have good mental health uh, going on into the future because this this, this is it just the start of these sorts of, um, you know, issues with the, the world are we going to see more and more of this and we, we're going to have to, the, the, the key is to be building resilience. Yes, absolutely. Like parenting's not hard enough having all of this. We'll just add something else in. Um, but like they always say, you know, in every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. We've all heard that sort of saying before as well. And of course, yeah, as you just, you know, highlighted before, which we all know, every state and territory has been affected differently. So this is just a blanket conversation, just generally. Absolutely. Um, you know, but um, but I guess looking at the, the calendar year, here we are. Of course, the kids have just started their new school year this year with 2021, and things are relatively back to normal in most states and territories here, um, opposed to many other overseas countries, which we, of course, yeah. know are still yeah. feeling. And um, we've all got friends and family overseas, and um, our hearts go out to all of them having, especially for us here in Melbourne, knowing what it's like to be in lockdown as well. Yeah, but yeah. Um, in your experience, have you noticed an increase of mental health presentations in your private practice um, with children since, I guess, the start of COVID, which is almost sort of now sort of 12 months ago? Um, look, I throughout COVID, I was really lucky I didn't have to um, shut down my practice and I noticed I don't think I had one cancellation <laughs> because everybody came and it was this um, high level of support that families needed during that time which was really concerning and I guess looking at Melbourne and keeping an eye on that um, and, and the, the mental health crisis and it worries me about the um, amount of families that do need to come and get support that um, wouldn't have that ability you know during those big lockdowns but uh, absolutely and I'm not sure whether it's because of COVID but in the last couple of years there's been a lot of funding um, in the government put into mental health and people can, I think they can afford care. Um, and the stigma of mental health, you know, from that is is getting less and less. So, and I think COVID's just kind of thrown on top of that in this time where mental health has been um, put on the top of the agenda. And now we've got this crisis of um, how are we going to provide care to everybody? Um you know, so absolutely, but I think it's not just COVID that's doing that. There's there's many layers to that, but it is um it is a bit of a crisis. Like in um in my town, um, there most people in private practice will have wait lists of three to four months, and when you've got this is people who see kids and families, um, and when you've got you know family in crisis, it's 
really scary what to um, what to do with them. And I think um, you know, writing articles and and putting things out there and having you know wonderful podcasts like this um, gives families something to tap into and just have some little takeaway things that they can do um, to help bridge that gap until they can get the care that they that they need. Yeah. And of course, there's all of those telehealth services as well, which are available 24-7, which can help Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, have been just godsend um, throughout the, the last 12 months in particular. Um, now, now. Oh, pub- absolutely. Yeah. Now, we published your article titled Psychologists Working with Children and Families. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, just what inspired you to write it? Um, well, probably just what I was saying just before around giving families something to read. I read a lot of, you know, articles and it always sort of says, if you're worried, um, consult a health professional, which is often, you know, always, you know, if you're worried, do that. Um, but I think there's a lot that parents can be engaging in with themselves and caregivers um, to provide some, you know, sort of first aid stuff in the in the first instance. So the article... Um, looks at a model from a guy in the States, um, Dan Hughes, and it's a the PACE model. And it's based on playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy. And mm-hmm. using that um, in in the in your parenting um, instead of I think a lot of us, you know, have been raised with, you know, very behavior management and, you know, good consequences, bad consequences. And, you know, parenting in this time is quite, you know, there's there's so much more um research and literature and so many more things that we can be doing to create resilience in kids um so by being the the article really talks through ways to be playful ways to accept emotions and be with a child and sit with them through an emotion um how to be curious about what's going on inside a child's world rather than telling them no you're not sad about that or no this isn't happening but saying oh you know what's 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 the saddest thing about that is there a happy thing about that uh, and then empathy, and um, you know, I think as being an empathetic parent just gives you such an edge. It's I have a I have a ten year old, and I probably was in the, you know, um, looking at back though, you know, that those times. I think Super Nanny was pretty big, and it was kind of like you know all that timeout stuff. So that was a a framework I had for a long time, um, you know, back in two thousand and ten. And I have a a four year old, nearly four year old, um, and I use. Uh, a lot of I don't know if you know circle of security and pace based stuff, and it is a beautiful way of parenting. And um, by using empathy, just getting the best out of out of kids, um, and not needing a lot of punishment. But it's a it's like you're saying before about long term, and this is I think the long term um, being proactive for the long term is creating those attachments and parenting differently rather than. Um, that real consequential, I'm the boss, you, yeah. Yes. So give it, yeah. And, and moving into the school year, um, I think just giving a little bit of a framework for, you know, educators, parents, caregivers um, to support and hold their kids' hands moving through this. Yeah. And in your article, you list helpful guidance and support for common and normal responses to stress that I guess many families and children may still be experiencing right now, as we're just mentioning as a um, sort of on the back of sort of 2020. Um, and I'd love to talk through a few of them now as an opportunity to provide parents, caregivers, um, 
And on top of that, also educators um, and teachers' inspiration to help create feelings of security and safety with children on that model that you were just talking about, starting with um, providing a secure base for your children. Now, you mentioned that we um, often see acting out um, and oppositional behaviour as unhelpful or naughty Um, and in actual fact that when children display these behaviours, it's often not to get negative attention, that they're actually looking to an adult to help them understand what they need and are asking, um, I guess, for for help or something for for, um, for a need to be met. Could you please expand on this a little bit more? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, when we, when a kid's, when a kid, when a child's being naughty, so to speak, um, we internalize that and we kind of make it about us and they're kind of attacking us and they're, you know, they're do it, doing that to, you know, make their life difficult, uh, make our life difficult. Um, and we react to that accordingly with our own um, emotion that we, um, oh, hang on two seconds, sorry. <laughs> At the back. Sorry, another these, child. <laughs> these things happen. It's all good. <laughs> Um, so creating a, um, a safe, I've got to get my thoughts back now. Um, yeah. So when, when kids are presenting in this, um, in this light with these behaviors and we feel that they're being naughty, we internalize it. And then we react with our fight or flight brain, you know, we're angry and, um, you know, reactive, um, we're using, um, these, you know, playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, empathy, secure base, um, and following, like, first of all, we've got to identify what is the need here. Sometimes yes. I say to my four-year-old, who is a very emotional little girl, she's sweet, but, gee, she's hard work. And I, I've i started to say to her, I just, I crouch down and I just say, what do you need? And she just, she kind of steps back from whatever she's doing and she'll tell me what she needs. And she's calm, I'm calm, and we go and do what she needs. Sometimes, you know, you need to take charge and, um, mm-hmm. you know, be, be um, have that, uh, you know, authority in the relationship. But often with something as simple as what do you need right now and, and a child can then verbalise that, then you can work on that together um, using a number of different ways. You might not always, I mean, you know, we're not going to throw everything at children and give them everything that they want, but mm. following, mm. understanding their need in that moment and helping them to achieve calmness around that need is is a great way to be responding to acting out and, and oppositional behaviour. And just remembering that animals are oppositional when they feel unsure and scared. And I think, you know, looking at when when you're seeing that naughty behaviour, Look at it as a big clue to what's going on. Yeah. It's it's volumes of oh, hang on, there's a problem here, and and if we do something with that, we're better equipped to sort it out rather than putting a lid on it and then it exploding everywhere. So providing a secure base is underlying saying to your child, "I hear you, I see you, and you matter." Um, and at the same time, I'm still in charge, but I'm kind and firm all at the same time. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, using that, um, I have a I have a beautiful mentor here in Townsville. Who I think does some work with some different people um, in Melbourne. Must be the place to be. Um, uh, her name's Kerry Spina, and um, I think she's played a big role in um, helping me see what um, using you know values based mind mindful parenting 
um, and connection-based parenting, you know, and it's really powerful whether you're saying it to a child or a colleague or whoever. And if you just say, I, I see that you're tired or I see that you're sad or I, I hear that that was important to you. And it just, it just disarms the bomb um, and their beautiful connecting language. And um, so from you know, my, my good friend, Kerry Spina, gave me this, um, this beautiful handout um, and I give it to families all the time and they come back to me and they say, it's, it's just it's life-changing and they pick, you know, a little sentence a week and they try to find ways to connect with their child using this beautiful language. Um, mm. I have schools that use it that go, teachers that go, oh my gosh, I've never felt so close with my kids and, you know, in, in their classes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just that we're just not, I mean, it's starting to um, be part of frameworks, but many schools just, um, you know, gravitate back to what, to that um, behaviour management and, you know, you get a happy face if you're good and a sad face if you're bad <laughs> and, you know, there's so, so much more. Would you say the situation really is an opportunity for parents and, and educators to reflect on just how we can do things differently just by understanding that behind every tantrum or every sort of negative situation with children, there's just a very simple need, just wanting to be met, would you say? Uh, absolutely. And I think um, with with COVID, it'll be um, interesting to see how kids are in Melbourne are coping with being back at school and being away from, you know, if they've been at home for such a long time um, and now having to separate from their parents and then acting out at school. And it could be that the need is that I, I, I miss my mum and I, I'm just not ready to um, separate from her. You know, we work on that and, and from an empathetic framework, then we will we can put all the things in place to support that anxiety and that yucky feeling rather than it being turning into this secondary anger um, and, you know, mm. um, throwing desks and whatever you know kids are kids are doing when they're feeling really fighty and flighty um there's just so much that can be done I think absolutely taking taking this opportunity to go we just didn't have it right in the past and it's time to get it right because we've got you know mental health is at the top of the agenda and um there's beautiful programs like the circle of security program um you know and, and for parents to engage in this and learn how to do some really simple things um, mm. is, yeah. And sort of just touching on what you were just saying about looking looking back, the next point in your article is a time for reflection. So I'd love to know, I mean, how can parents best reflect with children on the, the year that was yeah. last year and the unknowns of this, this year and, and the year ahead? I mean, do you have any tips at all? Um, I um I really loved uh, Dan Siegel's work. Um, he wrote the Whole Brain Child, um, and he's got a number of principles throughout that. And uh, one of them he talks about storytelling, um, and I use that a lot with kids, and they just love it. Um, getting them to write their own personal family story and book about what happened, and mm. they you know parents then read that at nighttime, and it's so uh, it's very easy to actually get your child's drawings and some text and send it away and get a proper book printed that yes. comes back and looks like just a normal storybook that sits on your shelf. But they wrote and it. They, but they wrote it, absolutely, and they can relive the experience, the things that they're worried about, but they can do it in a safe way and in a supported way and we can add things into the story about how they're okay now. Um, you know, and so storytelling and reflection 
is an incredibly powerful way that the human brain can process information. Um, we pretty much can't do it without, you know, I mean, language is one of our, you know, our key things that makes us, um, you know, human and, and um, uh, intelligent and using our language to help us heal and storytell is um, a very powerful tool. So maybe, you know, educators might even want to, um, at the start of the year, do their do individual stories with kids and then put that together and then, um, you know, reflecting back for kids who aren't coping and, you know, but storytelling is, it's. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a great time capsule thing as well to be able to look back at this point in our our lives in another sort of five to ten years when hopefully this will just all just be a story. Uh, I I love um, that (laughs) saying that, you know, this, this too shall pass, which is, you know, yeah, saying yep. that we usually yep. say when we're sort of going through some, some, you know, it's a nice resilience phrase. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. But you know, there are a number of great books to help children understand and digest information about COVID as well. Um, but I do love the idea of actually putting it into their own book. I think that's that's a great, great idea and a wonderful time capsule opportunity. Um, and in your opinion, I mean, what do you foresee the pros and cons? I guess of the big life experiences of COVID bringing our children. And just, I guess, the overall interpretation of the pandemic um, on this topic then? Yeah, um, look, I think um, I, I think the world's different. It's a different place. Um, and we are just paving the way to see what the, the actual impacts are. But, you know, it's, it's not all bad. I was sitting in um, uh, my, my oldest daughter is in grade six this year and mm-hmm. she had her leadership um, you know, they get their badges and um, she goes to a Catholic school and it was an hour mass and I just was thinking this is the most boring day of my life. Um, and then it comes to the part where we got to go up and um, pin the badge on you know, on our children and I tell you what, that was the most magical moment that I just want to put in a bottle and keep that there Um and and I really valued it so much more than I would have, because if if we, there was still social distancing, we wouldn't have even been able to. I wouldn't have been able to have that experience. Yes. Um, and for you know, for a parent and in my parenting, seeing the beauty in those moments that just shine and marveling in them and going, you know, I'm not going to sit now today and remember the all the boring thing I had to do. I'm going to remember that moment. Um, of just that's what it's all about. That's why you have your kids, isn't it? To, um, you know, I mean, you go through the good and the bad, but those little milestones. And so I think as parents, it can make us much better parents. But I think we need to shift our mindsets as, parent, as parents and um, make time for the, yeah, absolutely, make time for the the boring little stuff um, and re- refocus what we're, what we're doing. We're too busy working and... It's a little bit like, um, I guess, when someone unfortunately passes away and, you know, you're at their wake, you will always speak yeah. about the happy yeah. memories and, and all of the you know, Absolutely. wonderful things that you experienced. With, and they with probably would have liked to have heard, or heard all that when they were alive. Absolutely. So it's exactly that sort of point. Um, and the, the next thing you've got in the article is to be more playful. Now, you mentioned that the chemicals that the brain releases when a child and a parent play sets them up to succeed. Can you tell us a little more about this? 
So um, with, it comes into a little bit more of that storytelling again. So giving um, you know children the opportunity to play out what has happened. Um, you know, setting up. I guess for a child who might be anxious about germs or the pandemic, you know, setting up fun way like slime and you know sliming the city. And um, but when we can experience something, and this is a lot of children's play. If you notice, they will play things over and over um, to go through each part of that experience and they're doing it play is safe and kids that play can work through um any worries and and it helps them to settle but it also releases all those nice when when a parent's playing with a child all those beautiful connecting bonding chemicals like oxytocin um and it creates a strength in their relationship and then kids grow up wanting to go to their parents and wanting to you know talk things through with them and how important if if we you know, if you go and fight every day um, and have, you know, a lot of stress, then that's the way your brain will wire. If you are calm and peaceful and play and work through things and communicate, then that's your default way of, of doing things. So it's your whole brain structure. Oh, my God, that is um, so important. Know, when, when there's lots of play and parents. So it's I, not yeah, about, absolutely. So and it's not about the hearing now. If there's anything, about. is play more. And it's not about the here and now. This is about setting sort of that, that relationship up for life, as you just said. So it's not a, just a, about, okay, the coming home from school Absolutely. at the moment and, and reconnecting in the here and now, which is so critically important. It's about, as you said, setting, setting up those neural pathways and the, and the wiring in the brain. Absolutely. So that, you know, in another two, three, four, 10, 20, 30 40 years time into the future that that is the yeah. um I guess the the foundation and, that, and that's and that's just how they how they do life um you know my big girl she's just the most I don't know it took highly of your own kids but she is just such a beautiful human and um she adults always say how um you know how she connects and engages and I, that makes me really proud because we've you know we've I think I've done my job well and I think you know, she's only 11, but she's set up to have positive, helpful, happy relationships in, in her life and, um, you know, to address, like, if there's ever drama, she's straight up, will call it, and it is, it is beautiful, but it's practice and practice yep. and practice, and this is the way that her her brain is now. And, and then I see that with many kids that I work with in, in my private practice. We work for a short amount of time and they come back and they just tell me the most amazing stories. I um had a young person um, who's um, studying at the moment and um, she was going to, um, I guess, play, uh, she was going to address somebody's bullying by letting them continue to bully her and I sort of stood back and said, you know, what what are you getting out of this? And it was just this person had pressured her into, um, you know, meeting up so they could just you know, get mad at her some more and sort of with a little tiny bit of language I get this message saying you know thank you so much for the different you know the language and the um to for me to realize that I can be assertive and um and say no you know it's just you know and now that you know you get one or two experiences where you put these things into play and it just sets you up for life and it doesn't matter if you're a you know a child an educator a student whatever you are that there's always room to change. We can we can teach the old dog new tricks. Yes. Um, the next thing that you list is to be accepting. Now, I'd love to know from your perspective, what are the consequences if we dismiss children's feelings? 
most people can relate to uh, accidentally walking past the toy aisle, um, you know, in Big W or Target, and um, and 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 often we'll be like, oh, sure, yes, we'll go down the toy aisle, but then they see their favourite toy and <laughs> they pick it up so happy uh, and think it's coming home, and um, somewhere I can see that acceptance. I mean, accepting you know, often a parent would just say, put it down, we've got to go. And it results in tantrums. And that's life, isn't it? Um, if we snatch something off somebody and say, no, whether you're you know, <laughs> two or 20 or you know, 40, um, but something that's just really beautiful is um, saying, I know that, you know, you take the toy, so putting that back and child gets sad and saying, I know that you really want that toy. And it would be so special to take that toy home right now wouldn't it I wish that you could have that toy I really wish that do you know what if we put it on the Santa list or you know whatever but that is accepting you feel sad or just saying like if your child's had a bad day at school or they're sad about the pandemic or scared about it is we can just say I know you're feeling really scared right now and that's okay you're allowed to feel you're allowed to feel scared and I accept that and that's probably a really good one for older kids too with your you know your preteens your tweens and and teenagers with with a lot of their emotions as parents we want to problem solve because we don't want our kids to be hurting um but to just sit beside them and just say that's cool I accept that you know acceptance is huge there's so many different things that we can um we can use that with but they're just some examples of how we can use that in our framework of parenting as well. So the next thing you listed to be curious, and you mentioned in the article, um, and I quote you here, so I'm quoting you, so I'm reading out from the article. When a a child is scared um, or not coping, the thinking and problem-solving parts of their brain are on snooze mode. The limbic, uh, is it it limbic system? Is that how you pronounce it? Or survival brain? Limbic system, that's right. Yeah, it's in full swing. Um, so by being cur- a curious parent, you can disarm the unhelpful thinking and behaviour with some simple actions just by being curious. Yeah. So could you expand on this a little bit and also provide us with some examples parents might use yeah. if their children are still Absolutely. being impacted by um, COVID and or any negative experiences in their life in yeah. general? So um, I mentioned Dan Siegel before yep. um, and he, I don't know if it's his model, but he uses the idea of um, this is this is the brain um, and when the brain's functioning nicely, it's all connected up, it's all communicating well, a bit like a conductor um, mm-hmm. of an orchestra. Conductor comes out and everybody's playing along and, you know, you can imagine the, the trumpet player up the back who's, you know, uh, off on his own, like, you know, doing his own thing or, or whatever. and um, we, we literally flip our lids when uh, when we're not coping. So the connection between the top part of your brain, which is where we do all our thinking and planning and um, rationalizing, and it it just goes to sleep. So when when that happens, when our brain flips its lid, where something is saying, okay, there's a big brown bear and we need to just go into survival mode. There might not be a brown bear. Often there's not. Um, so essentially just to answer that specific question if you can engage this and it can be something as simple as um saying the alphabet or counting in twos or and it literally the brain just starts to re-engage and connect now that's 
very simplistic. And if you've got a child who has flipped their lid, um, that may take a lot of setting up. Um, but as, as adults, that's why we say count to 10, but it's probably too easy, which is why maybe it doesn't work. We've got to find something that's a little bit challenging when we're when our lids are flipped because it puts us back together again. And then the limbic system sends all those hormones that make our tummies yuck and our bodies feel yuck and our heart beat faster. So if we can put that lid, the top of the brain back, you know, get the connection um, working again, it pretty much just calms the savage beast and um, we can we can get back to our nice normal functioning so um yeah by using the our frontal lobe our thinking brain um is is to turn off that limbic system and to turn off those chemicals being sent out into the body um so ways often and and i see and i do it sometimes we over talk things and we tell kids we lecture them so much of what we lecture kids about if we just ask them a question and waited for them to respond um, they would be able to engage their frontal brain up here and find the answer themselves and then calm themselves down. Do you notice sometimes like if you maybe ask somebody a question and then you kind of answer it yourself? Yes. Um, and, yep. then, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you could sit there and have a whole conversation with somebody and do all the talking and then walk away feeling great because you actually engaged your thinking brain and you turned off the anxiety part. Um, yes. So such a powerful tool. Um, to learn how to have open questions, not closed questions with, with your kids. So asking a question that requires them to engage their their brain, you know, and it can be about what's happened. It could be, oh, you know, I can see that you're not coping so well right now and you're really sad. What do you think that would make you feel better? Yes. What do you think we could do? And giving space, again, as problem-solving parents, we kind of jump in and tell them and they don't take that on board because they, they're, they're this part's shut down. You know, learning doesn't happen if this part's asleep. Yes. Now, the last one that we have in this PACE model, which I absolutely love, um, is to be empathetic. Now, this for some parents yeah. may be a lot easier and said than done because in the first instance, the parents themselves need to understand and know how to be empathetic. Now, not every parent um, was necessarily taught yeah. how to be empathetic. Yeah. And or has actually exercised it in their lives. Now, in this situation where a parent has was never taught themselves what empathy is, how how can they best be empathetic to their own children? And where should they start in in just trying to help their children feel supported and loved? I think um uh I think it's pronounced Brene Brown. Um and she has this beautiful um video on YouTube um, and it's about empathy and she opens it by saying sympathy drives disconnection and empathy drives connection. Um, you know, I would I would say to anybody that is anybody, a human that wants to connect with people to watch, you know, it's like three minutes um, and, and seeing that in play. And a lot of it is it kind of just brings everything that I've been saying together and it's about being with people when they're not okay. And, and it's okay to not be okay, but being with somebody and, and with our kids, just sitting beside them. So I say to my, well, she's four now, but when she was three and they go through that real tantrum stage and they're like, I don't want this, I don't want this. And I say, I would say to her, um, and, you know, through lots of practice, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. Um, but I would say, do you want a cuddle? No. Nope. Okay. 
do you want me to sit down here beside you? Nope. Do you want me to go away? No, I don't want you to go away. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here right beside you. Just be there. And and I'm just going to wait. And you sit there and they come over to you. And then you cuddle and, and connect. And, um, I mean, again, that's in a... In a, in a, sometimes it needs some setting up. I would I would recommend if if there's parents who are really struggling to identify when they need to be empathetic, um, doing finding somewhere in their community to do the circle of security program. Um, it is the most beautiful way of um, viewing parenting, and it's a safe. It looks at you as um, you know a parent who's bigger, stronger, um, wiser, but but kind as well. Mm-hmm. And um, helps parents to know, uh, to identify needs, um, and it's very reflective and it's non-judgmental. So I would, I would say, anybody from this who is struggling to, um, you know, there's just way more than what I can write in an article, and there's you know lots of um, lots of support out there. And attachment-based parenting is, I think, I'm hoping it is just the next ten years. It just completely takes over, and we get rid of the that behaviour management stuff because we're using it with kids who. Um, are disconnected and are disorganized in their emotions, yeah. which just makes them even worse. But if we can provide connection, safety, stability, and and you know the circle of security uses um, hands as part of their model, if we can be the hands and the holding, you know, uh, supporting kids, then then we're just going to get so much further, um, long long term. Yeah, and then you know if there's more pandemics, we'll be resilient. We'll be like, that's cool. This too shall pass. Yes. <laughs> and I guess on the flip side of this, for a parent who was taught empathy as a child and has exercised it right throughout their life, you know, is there any additional advice that you could maybe sort of share with us at all? Um, is to, um, well, I, again, I'm stealing quotes here, um, but the circle of security, they say, um, you know, you just need to be a good enough parent. You don't need to be perfect. We don't, we don't want, you know, to be abusive. We just need to be good enough. And that for me really resonates because some days, you know, you just want to get those kids' shoes on and get out of the house and, you know, you want things to happen quickly um, and, and you can't be implementing everything all day, every day, um, but finding ways to be good enough most of the time. Uh, and the other thing which I'll steal from from that as well, is the rupture and repair. If you rupture the relationship with your child, you make sure you go and repair it and you um, work through any anything. If you yelled this morning, then tonight you say, hey, I, I yelled this morning um, and that wasn't cool. It would be really great if you could put your shoes on quicker next time, um, but I shouldn't have yelled. That does so much for... Um, for repair and there's lots of different ways we can do empathy in our parenting if if parents feel uncomfortable with touch and cuddles and and those sorts of things and and Mm -hmm. caregivers um, there's many ways to be an empathetic parent um, caregiver without um, without doing the Hollywood sort of stuff yeah well thank you so much for going through that pace model Um, if people want if parents caregivers um, educators want to find out more about that model where where should they go then in general Um, about the pace model if um, is I guess if you google Dan Hughes pace uh, model that he's Mm. got a pretty good description 
um, on there. I don't know it's really been turned into a, a program. Um, I think for educators and, and um, allied health professionals, uh, you can order his DVDs, um, which which show him doing these things. He may have a few things on YouTube as well. I I seen him just it was he come to Townsville. Uh, 10, 11 years ago, and I just went along for a professional development, and I have just clung on to that because it, it is just a beautiful framework um, mm, to parent in. But, but the circle of security uses a lot of that stuff as well. And outside of all of this, what what kind of issues would warrant a visit to a psychologist um, who specialises and works with children in light of COVID-19 um, and its impacts and or anything uh, negative that is affecting to the children yeah. in general? Look, I think um, I think GPs, the, the, the GP model is fantastic and, you know, in my experience they're excellent at um, seeing a family, helping them to identify if there is an issue that's causing dysfunction um, and whether this is going to be a long-term thing and whether there needs to be more resources outside of the, the family unit um, and the school, the school environment. Um, and I, th- and I think really in, in, in summing that all up is if you're worried, if things aren't resolving, you've gone, you know, three or four weeks and there's still a lot of anxiety and this is a new presentation, mm. definitely get off to a GP to look at what the next steps are. Yes. There's no, no shame in, in reaching out. 100%. And we've covered a lot today. If you were to summarise your key messages <laughs> for anyone watching and listening, how would you summarise what they are? Um. I, I think that um, the world is a tough place and it's getting trickier and trickier to just cope ourselves and as, as parents, as caregivers, educators, whoever we are working with kids, being with kids, um, it is a tricky job. Don't be hard on yourself and um, learn about um, attachment-based care and parenting um, and I think it will just, it changes, changes lives. It certainly changed mine. Um, I enjoy parenting so much, even the boring, big, long mass that goes with the moment of <laughs> tuning a bad Find job, that moment know? at the end of it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And you marvel in it and then you you take that with you um, and, and you know that you got through another mass. <laughs> <laughs> now, if um, parents, caregivers, educators have got any questions and they want to reach out to you, whereabouts can they find you then? Um, probably the easiest place. I'm sort of in a transition um, phase at the moment, but probably just my Facebook page, which I think I've I've sent you to, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you can message that there, uh, and I'll try my best to um, you know, send any links or anything out to anybody who um, wants any further information on any of that. And we'll definitely have um, all of those handles and those links in the show notes, along with a link to the article, Carolyn. I've absolutely loved our chat today and really hope for the opportunity to chat with you again in the not too distant future. Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much. You take care and we'll speak again soon for sure. See you, Rachel. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening, and be sure to give my love to the kids.